This is a podcast by The Straits Times. My dad is actually quite a sickly person. I was the eldest in the family, so I had to quit whatever studies I had. So I started working as early as 17, right after my O-level. That was Ms. Shobana Baskaram, an assistant manager at the Marina Bay Sands. She has no higher school qualifications, but she has been promoted three times since she joined the integrated resort as a coordinator 12 years ago. Shobano is, unfortunately, a rare example of an early school leaver who has succeeded in Singapore, a country where academic success is almost a prerequisite for a successful work life, at least for most of its six decades of nation-building. I am Chris Boo. In this episode of Work Talk, we're discussing the plight of workers who quit school early, such as at the primary or secondary level. What challenges do they face? How can they overcome them? Why is this group of workers important? And what can we, as a society and as individuals, do to give them hope? Early school leavers make up 27% of the 2.3 million local workforce in Singapore. This caught the attention of two researchers at the Institute of Policy Studies. In the survey of over 1,000 Singapore workers last October, the think tank found a stark lag between this group of workers and the higher educated peers. They were far from ready for the technological disruptions and changes coming in the way we work. Dr. Laura Teo is one of the two senior research fellows that did the study which was released on January 16. Those who are less educated were the ones who are typically far less aware and um, less open to the idea of learning new skills or changing their jobs and also um, had a higher anxiety level. It showed us that this is a, a vulnerable group who would, might be at risk of not being able to adapt to the future changes and they are going to need a lot more help. Laura also said that at the very heart of Singapore society, social mobility is at risk. This is the belief that many Singaporeans share, that one can move up in life regardless of background. It is another finding from the study. Many of these workers are in blue-collar jobs, providing essential services that keep our economy and daily conveniences running. To get a sense of the ground, I spoke with Miss Chloe Huang, Strategic Director of Opti, a recruitment platform. A lot of them deal with anxieties, you know. They don't really have the know-how and they're not well-equipped to deal with changes and they are also not exactly sure of what their strengths are. They kind of look down on themselves even. A lot of them have this mentality like, I'm not educated, I, I can't really deal with this, you know, I don't know how to deal with change. So that's something that we've actually been noticing a lot uh, with workers. And despite there being a lot of, I think, like uh, lifelong learning programs by WSG, by E2I, but still there is a communication gap for, for those who don't have that secondary school diploma. So where does the problem lie? Early school leavers who don't try or employers who won't give them a try? Let's hear from Shobana again. Before I joined NBS, I wasn't given an opportunity to even go for the interview. There was a lot of companies that turned down to even listen to what we had. And I'm very sure that my skill set would have been applied to that place that I you know, tried to apply. But I wasn't given the chance that time. That was Shobana's experience 12 years ago, before her husband put her name up for the position at Marina Bay Sands. But not everyone has a spouse that works for a progressive employer. With the entry of millennial managers into the workforce and recent calls from the government to give this group of workers more recognition, have things changed? Here's Chloe. So we've noticed that, you know, with kind of like millennial managers, they are more open to people who don't have the necessary qualifications, but as long as they show that they're willing to learn. 
But with the more traditional old school kind of recruiters, their paper qualifications are very important, right? Because that's what they've always done. And examples of it is kind of ridiculous. For instance, even in FMB, there was a particular restaurant. They are looking for uh, managers, you know, looking for managers on the floor. So uh, we pitched these couple of candidates to the restaurant group. And then they came back to us and said, uh, sorry, because this is the managerial role. So we need someone who is good at Excel. So we had to really kind of have a talk with them and say, you know, as a manager, how important is that Excel skill? Versus being able to manage your staff, being able to establish relationship with the customers. And when we were asking what kind of complicated Excel skills is necessary, right? And they say, oh, you know, for example, tabulating the daily sales and, and uh, you know, just telling the sales bank in. And we're like, you don't need Excel skills to have that, you know. And, and so it's, it's, again, the issue of sometimes employers themselves may not necessarily know what exactly that they're looking for. But because traditionally they've been told that, you know, I, I should be looking for someone with at least a secondary school diploma. To throw light on this quirk, I turn to Mr. Chow King Hai, a seasoned hotelier and consultant who has worked and run hotels for over 30 years. That maybe bring me back to many years ago. I, I joined this one hotel and I went to the front desk. And everyone that my manager introduced me to is actually either as an intern or as a part-timer. So I asked, how come we do not have qualified full-timers? So I said, never mind, you know, let, let me start up to recruit. So at some point, you know, I brought in quite a number of uh, staff or full-timers. In a way, unfortunately, they can't speak well and some even can't write. My other managers asked me, hey, how, how can you recruit someone like that? I said, to me, I think more important is so long as they can stand at a counter, they can perform the task. And more importantly, my guests understand what is he or she saying. And the, my guests feel happy and they are satisfied and then get what they want. Charles says, it's really about managers finding the right job fit. He gives the example of a room attendant that worked in a property he ran. He, he couldn't speak and write well in, in English. So what I did was I moved him to this property that actually, I would say 80% of the guests that, that stay in this hotel are actually Chinese from mainland China. So eventually, when I left that property, he was promoted to be an assistant farm office manager. From a room attendant to assistant farm office manager, I think that is like five, six level up. How many years did it take him? I would say three to four years. It's naive to think that every early school leaver aspires to a high-flying career, just like the quiet quitters or professionals who chose work-life balance over climbing the corporate ladder, some lower-educated or blue-collar workers just want to stay where they are. But for those who want to grow, what else is standing in their way? People grow, people can learn, and, and they should realise that. And for the group of secondary and below secondary um, ed education, I think they lack that concept of, of long-term planning for your career. When you're only in secondary school level, maybe you're not trained to think or plan like that, and you don't know what the alternatives are, so they do need a lot of help with that. But how do I think a bit longer term? I've got other colleagues and other researchers from other schools and institutes who tell me that some of the qualitative feedback that they have that, oh, I know that upskill, but I don't know what skill to take. Then there are these 500 courses out there which one is good? I also don't know. So these are a lot of the skills and it's a longer term thinking that we need to help them with. And I, and I think that going forward, that we can help them get into the mode of thinking like that. So they need help to point them in the right direction. If bosses and managers are willing to put in that extra effort to level the field, it could do wonders. Here's Shobana talking about the team she manages. For the full team from 44, I would say maybe 35% is actually more lower qualification compared to the higher one. 
they are not quite comfortable presenting themselves. But with the trainings given, right, I can tell you 100% that none of my team members are having that kind of feeling that, oh, no, no, I don't want to present. With training, they will be definitely someone that is equal to another uh, person holding a higher consecutive. In 2016, Shabana herself asked her boss and the company for time off to learn new skills. I took a diploma in teaching English as a second language and also teaching young learners. That was my advanced tip. They were so supportive of my thing that I actually finished by 1.5 years of my studies and I attained a very good grade and I successfully got my diploma. If we take a macro view, Singapore is in this relentless competition with the world for top talent, which in turn draws global investments. Blue-collar jobs comprise 20% of our economy. Singaporeans, who have up to secondary school education, make up 27% of our local workforce. The majority of our workers, 41% of them, hold a degree. I asked Laura, why can't we be happy with things as they stand and continue to promote more Singaporeans into higher education, which is where we need to compete? Absolutely not. So there are people with different talents. So I don't think it's right for us to try and say, okay, we can't do anything about blue-collar jobs. And then we just try and push everybody into the white-collar jobs. So what we can do is upgrade the skills that are needed for those kind of jobs, make those jobs more meaningful and, I guess, uh, more desirable, and also maybe improve the pay as well. During COVID, we called them essential workers, and everyone was relying on them to deliver all these things. And then yet, you know, after COVID, we're now back to normal and, you know, we don't really see that, you know, the status or people people sort of respecting it more or, or them getting higher paycheck. No, that doesn't happen, right? But that cannot be right. The grounds for redesigning jobs are not just social. It leads to higher productivity and economic resilience. We do import a large number of uh, foreign labours to sort of make do for now, like whether it's you know, from other countries, but we can't keep doing that. Other economies eventually will upgrade themselves. We can't bank on foreign laborers forever. And even during COVID, when we saw during the water shutdown, we lost quite a lot of these workers as well, right? Because either their visas expired, they had to go back, they couldn't come back in. So we had a lot of issues with that. So what we should do is try and redesign these jobs, make them more palatable or more attractive rather than, you know, just shove everybody into try and get a degree. Last October, Deputy Prime Minister Lawrence Wong acknowledged that Singapore has not sufficiently valued workers engaging in hands-on and hard work. Some of that is being addressed with progressive wage policies that began as early as 2014. Policymakers hope to raise wages, along with productivity, for low-wage workers doing cleaning, security, landscaping, retail, and more. But there is still a long way to go to improve the work lives of early school leavers. A white-collar worker, they enjoy you know, public holidays, they enjoy weekend off and this and that. Every time when they say, oh, five days will be, four days will be, white-collar, no issue, we can do, we can work from home. But this group of essential worker, blue-collar worker, they can't. At the end of the day, they either get the same compensation or benefit, or even sometimes they get less. So, so there's, there's two so-called this inequality, and, and I think it's time that we really need to look into this. Uh. Chow admits that he has no easy solution, but Chloe offers one. If you think about countries like Australia, where you can be a construction worker, you can be a blue-collar worker, but on a societal level, you are given that respect. You know, people respect you for the job that you're doing because they understand that it's essential to the economy and to the functioning of the society. So I think this is something that really starts on educational, like, you know, like literally from primary school, helping people understand that all roles are important. It's not just, you know, your PNET roles, it's the cleaners, the, you know, people in the blue collar job, because without them, 
you can't have economy functioning because everybody relies on them. So these are kind of the couple of things that we always have to address with hiring managers, with recruiters, and helping them to kind of like change their mentality a little bit about how they approach their hiring process. If we place the lower school workers in the right roles and the right company, they actually tend to drop hop less than the people who have higher qualifications. So actually, in terms of job matching, we, we do get very good results for the lower school workers. Just that the only issue that they face would be that how do they advance beyond their current position? And Mohammed, a colleague of Shobana, is a living example. I have a colleague with me. He's 77 years old. He's not that literate, but he's our mentor. He doesn't have the paper qualification that what some companies require. Only his skill, his experience. He is more knowledgeable than any paper qualification holder that we have. So to us, he's the one who actually taught us on work. And he, till date, who's still working with us, is doing. He's still doing things. There's a lot to think about. Policymakers have their work cut out on raising the skills, productivity and wages of blue-collar jobs taken by many early school leavers. But as we have heard, managers and employers have a long way to go to be creative about job design. They have to be open and receptive to good candidates that may not be traditional. On their part, these early school leavers need to be open, confident and eager to learn. Shobana is a great example. And perhaps we, as individuals, need to remind ourselves that these lower-educated Singaporeans are one of us. Our parents, relatives, taxi anchors, our hawkers, platform delivery workers. We have a duty to do right by them. We have a role to play in supporting their quest for a better work life. We have a responsibility to give them hope. For the last soundbite, I'm leaving you with Shobana. My team is giving me this opportunity, my boss is giving me this opportunity, or my company is giving me this. I can do this. That wraps up this episode of Work Talk, a Straits Times podcast series to help you think deeper, work smarter, and get ahead in the work life. I'm Chris Boo, and I hope you enjoyed listening. From me, and on behalf of the production team, I want to thank our panel of wonderful guests, Laura, Chloe, Chow, and Shobana. If you have questions for them, or for us, feel free to drop me a note at the email address in the link stories in the show notes. And as we also happen to mark the 16th day of the Water Rabbit Year, we have lined up bonus segment about navigating your work life according to your zodiac animal sign. Have fun and listen on to Master Ken Ko, who's been giving feng shui advice for 25 years. Master Ko is a rat, by the way. So here's a hook. All you oxen out there, he is the guy you want to know. In 2023, we are welcoming the year of the water rabbit. And from an elemental point of view, it comprises water over wood. The water has a polarity. And 2023 carries a yin energy of water. The rabbit, on the other hand, is symbolized by yin wood. One is to understand that water is transformative and deceptive. So be fluid but do not jump into conclusions at face value of events. Two, wood is about slow growth and so don't expect immediate returns. Investing in the, in the mid and long term will see 
spectacular results. For workers, my advice would be stay put, invest in yourself, pick up a skill, and mastery will come about in two to three years' time if you work hard and focus. Rats, they're the luckiest animal this rapid year. 2023 belongs to the rats. They will benefit financially and their ability to attract the partnerships and collaborations are exceptional. People will see value in them in working or being just near them. They should capitalize on this popularity and milk their viability and visibility for personal image and branding. If you are a rooster, maybe you wouldn't want to be cocky this year. Roosters will clash the rapid year. Now that doesn't mean it is doom and gloom for roosters. What they should do is they must expect changes at work, responsibilities, and possibly places. In other words, they be shipped due largely to their impulsive nature and decisions. So knowing that, roosters should plan ahead and not jump off aeroplanes and explore caves, you know. Roosters can then borrow other people's luck by partnering those that are in luck according to their compatibility. So my point of view would be stay as close as possible to dragons and to dissolve the uh, problems and the snakes, on the other hand, will be able to uh, kind of open doors to opportunities for you. So roosters should pick these two friends, you know, to be in the company with. I'm an ox. It's predicted that I will be lonely and needy and will have my love and money cheated from me. Ox, on the other hand, has got no positive stars and uh, they become hypersensitive due to certain stars as, you know, hovering around that, which in turn will cause them to be offensive in words and actions. Now, knowing this, this in turn can break in and bring about confrontations and spiral out of control. But the other thing about Ox is that their loneliness will also attract impersonation and love scams. But I have a saviour. Ox can lean towards the Reds, who will use a lot of financial uh, uh, muscles and connections to solve issues. So those with the ox in this year, you may have heard about it. Well, look for friends, look for people around you who are actually rats and you find that, you know, you're going to uh, get the uh, effect of the rubbing off their good fortune onto you. To move on, we have tigers and dogs. Tigers are not strong in their outings as well. So uh, there'll be potential health and legal problems. Uh, this can actually uh, suck their lives out of them. You know, they become very, very lethargic. So be careful with legal documents and don't overcommit. Go to the horse if you are looking for inspiration, alright? And lean towards the dog for clear directions. Dogs are in the driver's seat with the Emperor Star. So there is a star for the Emperor Star. And uh, the things that they do should be to venture out as far as possible in their career and businesses, right? A side gig such as a personal investments will yield results if they get expert opinion. I emphasize, they must get expert opinion as well. And if you are rabbit boss, good for you. Rabbits also will fare well in leadership skills and it comes with recognition from official sources and therefore, Rabbits should take this year as an opportunity to compete 
and showcase their personal skills and talents, right? Finally, I asked Master Cole, in the rabbit year, who will win in this great negotiation between bosses and workers over the return to office? This is what he says. Feng Shui is about tapping into the right energies from the correct source at the right place and the right time. We are moving into the world of computing power, artificial intelligence, digital trust, internet of things, causing a new world environment to work from every way. Bosses should try and understand that the working environment has changed and they should humanize the whole workflow process. I think the employees on the other side will return this understanding to the bosses. Bosses need to get the sentiments of the modern workforce and communicate. Workers, in turn, will do their part. And that's all for the year. Oh, I forgot! You're a pig! You happen to have the heavenly kitchen in your backyard this year. Master Cole warns you not to overeat. Happy Rabbit Year! That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.